Welcome to Face the Jury, a podcast dedicated to confronting the issues of medical malpractice in America, what it is, how to spot it, and how to protect you and your family from medical negligence. I'm your host, Lloyd Bell. In our previous episode, we started a discussion with our clients, Janet and Stephen Lane. Stephen was a patient at Johns Creek Hospital back in 2017. When he was there, five doctors who worked at the hospital all failed to correctly diagnose and treat his stroke, leaving Stefan with cognitive deficits, the inability to move his left arm or leg, difficulty speaking, and unable to swallow. Stefan and Janet have agreed to share their story in the hopes that no other person experiences the same negligence. Today we will continue our conversation with Janet and Stefan Lane. Stefan and Janet, both of you, talk to our audience, uh, the folks who might be listening, who, who are struggling with whether or not to investigate a malpractice case. Because I will tell you that almost every client that I meet with for the first time, they, all, they may almost always say the same thing. They say some variation of, I am not the kind of person to sue. I'm not one of those people, is what they say, and, I, and I'm not litigious. Almost apologizing for investigating and pressing their rights. Talk to us a little bit about your thought process when these discussions were were coming up. When I thought back about the diagnosis of needing a psychiatrist, that to me was was so bad. It was so incorrect that. I always, I immediately wanted to fight back. In fact, I, I'm only sorry that I didn't tell that doctor that he was full of crap. And I'm using kind words. I mean, how how dare you? And and I was I'm, I was angry, you know. Um, and I felt I didn't know then that uh, modifying the home, your home to accommodate somebody in my physical condition could cost a couple of hundred thousand dollars minimally. An elevator alone is eighty grand, eighty thousand dollars. Build a shaft and buy the cab and all so on. And everything else, all the doorways have to be opened and even as much as getting a sink that you can get under so you can shave on and brush your teeth on a regular basis. It goes on and on. In fact, we've been house hunting now for a while. It looks as though three hundred thousand to four hundred thousand dollars in modifications, almost any house, is what we have to undertake. And what makes it makes it even more frustrating is that I would, in the past, I would have been the guy that somebody would hire to do the modifications, and I can't even lift a hammer. Yeah, Jan- Janet, talk to us from your perspective what it was like to make the decision to talk to lawyers, investigate a case, and then eventually press forward and file a lawsuit. What was that process like for you? I, I was dealing with so much that I really, this was not in a, not really forefront on, on my mind. I felt that if he was as impacted as, as he was, and again, like I, I, we're, probably two, three months in, not really even knowing what's going to happen. 
I'm still was hopeful that Stefan would make a recovery, but it was something that I felt that I felt that he was wronged. I felt that there was there was something out there that didn't quite seem right. And as the as we examined the records and looked at some of the things, there was more and more evidence about the lack of care, even from people not doing the neuro checks that they were supposed to do and giving Stefan the care that he, you know, that he needed. And I mean, Stefan is very impaired. He's a fall risk. He falls probably once every six weeks. I've got to call 911 to pick him up. He falls and because of being on blood thinners, you know, there's bruising and there's hematomas that come about. It's just broke a leg. Um, he broke his hip. He's it's just it's 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 you know, I would much rather, much, much rather have had my normal life without all of this because uh, you know, although it's the money is going to be um, helpful to help take care of him in the way that he needs to be taken care of and make his life easier. But um, that's not something that pe- that I would have done. I would, I'm not, wasn't looking for it. Well, I, pre- I appreciate you sharing all that. And you've got a unique perspective too on, on what it's like to be a client in a medical malpractice case. I've had several clients on this podcast before, and I'd like you to sort of give a client's eye view of what, litigation feels like when you're the client and you're dealing with lawyers and you're dealing with uh, depositions and, and, and the prospect of trial, would you give us a little bit of your client eye view of that, uh, of that process? I felt validated that my thoughts and my concerns were, were real. And that was very, very good. I always felt that our interests, Stefan's interests, were foremost and at front at front. And I felt like I, you know, had to advocate for him. I guess because of what happened that night with the neurologist, I wanted to make sure that whatever he needed and was was given to him. There was constant communication back and forth with you and the firm. And anytime something happened, I just, I mean, I felt that you listened, you were there. And I felt that the interest, your interests were actually were very genuine and feel like, you know, almost that there's a friendship, I think, with you guys. I feel the same way. And thank you for saying that. Um, uh, You know, you get close to people because you share a lot of very personal stuff. And you're also sharing a, a tough experience. Stefan, let me ask you, what was the hardest part of this litigation? And just for the context of the, the listeners, the case did resolve ultimately before going to trial. We had a mediation and were able to reach a agreement to get the case resolved. And it's a confidential settlement. We can't disclose the number, but it was an agreement by all parties that it made sense and allowed you all to move on with your life. But for many years, we were together. I, I think uh, the case lasted three years. I don't think we started off together. I believe you started off with a different 
law firm and, and we were introduced and then eventually we became your, your counsel and proceeded. But tell us, Stefan, what the hardest part of the, of the litigation was from your perspective. Luckily, I had you to help as a guide and a coach and you ran interference and I felt protected, insulated, and helped in a manner that allowed me to navigate this process. I had a motivation. I wanted to get even. I'll be quite honest with you. I felt so badly wronged that I wanted to get even. I could never get even in the the biblical sense, but I wanted something, some just compensation. I wanted this this doctor to be shown that you're wrong. You know, please don't ever do this again to anybody else. You made the process doable. And I personally would have gone through hell and high water anyway to see, see the case through because I'm, I'm living the life of a damaged person. So how much worse can it be? I would like to say that I think the most difficult part going through the depositions and sitting here at the kitchen table and hearing that, I would get very nervous, even though it was all over. But reliving and hearing what had happened and hearing the facts is difficult because it's like you're reliving it again and again. But it validates what you think, what you what you realize had happened. And so it's an interesting process to see how the legal system works. It definitely is very interesting. And you get to know and see the, the true side. As you had said, the, the neurologist was a bit arrogant and um, even in its deposition was, was arrogant as well. Well, you mentioned, um, you mentioned depositions and yeah, that, that's typically one of the more challenging hurdles that clients go through because you're put under oath and cross-examined by very talented defense lawyers, very experienced defense lawyers. Uh, tell us what it's like to sit there as a client in, the situa- in this situation and be questioned in a deposition. I will tell you that I practiced meditation. And before <laughs> that happened, as I said, I was, ver- I was very nervous. So I was practicing, you know, breathing and, and trying to get myself in a great frame of mind because I was worried about what would happen. Although you guys, you know, we practiced. We practiced a couple of times about what kinds of questions I should expect. But when it came to it, I did feel prepared and I wanted to, I took the laptop in our basement away from where Stefan was so I could speak freely without hurting his feelings and him hearing. This was a Zoom. This was a Zoom deposition. This is, yes, this is all during COVID. So this was a Zoom deposition. I took a candle to help calm myself as well. Lit a candle, took a picture, a family picture of my mom, and kept looking at my mom during that whole deposition. And I could hear my mother say, "Good job, good job." So it was was it nerve wracking? Yes. But it was something I had to go through and, you know, you can do it. You're not hung out to dry and unprepared. You're, you know, to any future clients, you can do it. You can do it. 
Thank you for for sharing that. And Stefan, t- tell me your your approach. Did you try me- uh, meditation and light a candle, or did you have a different different approach? I could jokingly say I had a drink or two, but I it, <laughs> I didn't. Um, I felt that I was wronged. I would just tell the truth, and it was nothing that their lawyers could ask me or trip me up on because everything I said was on record. The medical records backed up whatever I had to say. And I'm going to expose a little bit of my own ego, which I still have some left. Those guys are no smarter than I am. You know, they're not any more educated than I am. And, uh, you know, I can, I still, thank God, I can still think but I didn't feel intimidated because if I did, you coached me in in the ways to answer questions, which would be effective. And that made the process straightforward and expected. Yeah, y'all have both touched on this point uh, about that you, you were prepared. And we, we had spent a good deal of time with you ahead of time. And, and the preparation is so important. I, I would not maybe use the word coached. That's got a negative connotation, but, you know, go, go over the testimony and make sure you're comfortable with being questioned because it's a very alien experience for most people. You know, it's, it's a strange thing to be put under oath, uh, sit across the table or through a computer and be asked personal questions about how your body works and your relationship with your spouse. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not most people don't talk about those things easily. So uh, and y'all, y'all were great. Uh, one, one of the big challenges in preparing clients for depots is to assure them that the case does not sit on their shoulders. I mean, so many folks are thinking, oh my gosh, if I say the wrong thing, uh, you know, the, I'm going to ruin my, you know, my, my husband or my wife's case. And uh, we spend a lot of time trying to lessen that burden. I mean, your only job is to tell the truth, but you know, you want to tell it with confidence. And, you know, there are a lot of little tricks that, uh, that uh, defense lawyers may use to try to, to get, you to say things that might not be fully accurate. I mean, you know how there's there's a process, but y'all y'all were both great, and I think I think that that was clear from how the defense reacted to your testimony after it was over. We're we're coming to the conclusion, and I want to just uh, wrap up with um, asking each of you if you could talk to people out there in the in podcast world who might be listening to this, who either personally or a family member or somebody they care about. Um, is thinking about going down the road of investigating for a medical malpractice case and considering going forward. Uh, you've been there. You've both been there. Speak to that listener about how they should approach it or how they might consider approaching it. I would say your primary goal is to be supportive and get, and make sure that your loved one is taking care of and getting the litigation was not initially my primary goal. My primary goal was to make sure that Stefan was on his way to recovery. Mm -hmm. And then I reached out and tell your story, tell what happened. Don't be afraid. If you have a case, your attorney will tell you that you have a case and it's not up to you to decide that. And this is something like, if there is going to be this permanent damage and permanent disability, 
with your partner, why have this additional struggle? If the, if, if something can help make your life a little bit easier, then you owe it to your partner to help advocate for them. So I would encourage somebody who is out there, if you're struggling and you think that something wasn't right, speak to an attorney and see whether or not you in fact have a malpractice case. Thanks, Janet. How about you, Stephen? Well, I, I always think back, I forget who said it, but there's, you have nothing to fear but fear itself. You're already in a bad situation. If there is a possibility that it is medical malpractice that allowed you to arrive at the condition that you now uh, have, then then ask, you ask a doctor for medical help, ask a lawyer to look at the doctor's observations of your medical health. And if there is, in fact, malpractice, then allow the lawyer, Lloyd, hopefully, that, that and I mean that, whoever is listening, you know, ask Lloyd if, if this is, in fact, something that's something that should be pursued. One thing is sitting home in a rocking chair watching the leaves turn in the fall as compared to being able to get up out of the chair and saying, you know, I got to break those leaves up. I, I, I always think in terms of practical, but give it a shot, you know, give it a shot and um, don't let the opportunity to make your life somewhat better go by the wayside. Well, Janet, Stefan, I want to just thank you both so much for taking time to be on the podcast today. I started this podcast a few years ago to give me an opportunity to invite folks like you to come on and, and hopefully help educate the public to avoid these situations. Because I think Janet touched on this at the very beginning. The best thing you can do is to be an advocate and not accept anything that a healthcare professional tells you at face value, you know, particularly when there's life and death on, you know, at stake. We have Google, we have Wikipedia, we have resources to learn. You got to be an advocate for yourself. Your loved ones got to stick up for each other. And you know, the goal of all of all of this uh, podcast, and frankly, my, my my law practice, is to try and reduce medical malpractice. You know, put me out of business eventually because get the healthcare system operating at the level that it needs to, to protect patients and not to allow good folks like y'all fall through the cracks. So I hope that you've reached some folks out there. I hope we have. And I just can't thank you enough for, for being on my podcast and look forward to talking with you soon. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you've been listening all season long, I want to say thank you for being here. If you've just tuned in for the first time, I'm excited to share that we have a season four in the works. So stay tuned for more. Until next time, I'm Lloyd Bell, and this is Face the Jury.